All right, why don't you go ahead and pull out your Bibles, something that you can take notes with this morning. Thank you, worship team. Y'all are wondering, who's the fiery chick on the keys? That's Johanna. She's from California. We got Abby in the drums. Y'all are awesome. They're visiting us from Antioch Fullerton. So they're not going to be back next week, which is just sad. But we love y'all. They were with uh, Antioch Discipleship School this week, leading worship, teaching. So awesome. So we love having y'all here. Uh, Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Amen. Oh, I got something, one more fun thing to tell you before we get into the message. Uh, If you may have seen this uh, announcement on social media this week, but Lent is coming up February, oh gosh, 17th. Thank you. February 17th, Lent begins. If you don't know what Lent is, it's a historical practice of the body of Christ to celebrate and set our hearts on Jesus the 40 days leading up to Easter. Obviously, Easter's coming up where we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Spoiler alert, that's what happens on Easter. Uh, if you're wondering what Easter's all about. Uh, so we, uh, in the church historically, and lots of different traditions do it different ways, but take the 40 days, kind of represent, representing Jesus' 40 days of fasting, Uh, turning our hearts towards Jesus and not letting Easter just be a day but a season where we turn our affections towards Jesus. So we're going to be participating in that this week, or I mean this year. What that's going to look like is every Wednesday night of Lent, starting on the 17th, uh, we are going to have worship and prayer nights here. We'd love for you to be there. I know nobody's going to probably be at all of those. That's fine, but we just um, just sense, Lord, we want to turn our hearts towards you. We're going to make space. So whoever's here, We're making space to meet with God. Whenever you're able to be here, you can bring your kids. Um, It'll be great. And the other thing is I really encourage you to be intentionally doing two things during Lent. Two things. The first thing is do some sort of fasting, which means take something out of your life so that you are constantly reminded to turn your heart towards Jesus. So that might be something of food and drink. It might be Netflix or YouTube. I know, I'd rather fast the food than that, you know. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But take something out of your life for these 40 days that you'll feel so that you're reminded, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you so much. And the second thing I want you to do in conjunction with that is be thinking of at least one person in your life who's not walking with Jesus and be praying for them while you're fasting those 40 days. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We got worship nights happening whenever you can participate, but I want to encourage everybody to participate in prayer and fasting, praying for somebody who doesn't know Jesus and fasting by taking something out of your life to turn your heart towards Jesus. Everybody excited about that? So you'll be hearing more about that, um, but wanted to let you know. Okay, Bibles and notes, Genesis 1. Let's get into this. We are back in biblical formation. We are on week three. I hope you've been having a good couple of weeks so far as we are starting biblical formation. If you're new with us, what we mean by biblical formation is that we are taking 12 weeks and we're engaging the question, what does it look like? How do we come to the Bible and learn and walk out? How do we repent from a self-centered worldview and how do we be reformed from a self-centered faith? We are on, uh, it's kind of more of a course than a sermon series. So we got this course, we've got a few sections. We've been in section one, the universe. What does the Bible say about the universe and how does that impact our worldview and our faith? So this is the third week of the first section, which means we're done with the universe. We've covered it all after this week. And we got a new section coming up next week. Um, it has been really fun. So biblical formation, section one, the universe, part three, creation. Creation. You can put that at the top of your notes. Biblical formation, the universe, creation. 
creation. I'm going to uh, read a little bit of a chunk of verses. At the beginning of our services, uh, or um, our, the messages the last few weeks, we've been doing like four words at a time. So I figured we'd do a few verses today. Uh, why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light and the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning. Everybody say, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. You guys are quick. Good job. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits bearing fruit in which is in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Aren't you thankful that apples make apples? And it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and according, uh, oops, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're going to stop there this morning. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. feels good to read a little chunk of the Bible. I have been mentioning over the last few weeks as we've been talking about what does the Bible say about the universe, that the Bible is a theology book, not a science book. And that's really important. That's why I've said it all three weeks. 
It's really important for us to understand that as we talk about Genesis 1, as we read what we just read in Genesis 1 about creation, the, the, the Genesis 1 creation uh, or account of creation, we need to understand that our, when our, our 2021 Western minds, they immediately start reading these verses through a scientific lens. We immediately start reading it through a scientific lens, and there's nothing wrong with a scientific lens. It's just that's not the lens through which the text was written. And that might freak you out. That might freak you out because uh, in our world, in our scientific minds, we subconsciously relate science with truth. And we think that if the Bible isn't scientific, if the creation story I just read is not a scientific account of creation, then the creation story isn't true. And therefore, if the creation story isn't true, the Bible isn't true. And if the Bible isn't true, what are we even doing here? One falsehood in Christianity is that there is something threatening about science towards faith. I want you to listen to this carefully. There is nothing about science that should threaten your faith. I want you to listen carefully to this too. There is nothing about your faith that should threaten science. The idea that there is this conflict between faith and science is an unhelpful and false idea and I want to help us just kind of step back for a second so that we can, I, th I think if we can step back for a second, we'll see pretty clearly that um, I think if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. The like fear and the trepidation or the like get your guns up, here we go when somebody starts talking about science and the Bible and all this sort of thing. And I just don't think we need to do that. I don't think it's a helpful thing. And it comes from this presupposition that science and God are in this big cosmic conflict. And if we can step back, one of the things that I, I've experienced over the last year that we've had is that we need to be way smarter and more accurate in picking our fights. Because <laughs> there's a few things worth fighting about, and there's a lot of fights that just wear you out. Because they're not even the fight you should be fighting. So I want to help us. I want to help us on that and talk about this for a second. So I want to zoom out on what are we talking about? Are science and God in conflict? I think to understand that, we need to understand God and science. So we've been reading in our Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all picked that up yet? Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we've got, I wish I had like a chart but I'm not good at charts, so I'm going to act it out because I'm good at that. Um, okay, so we've got, like, God up here, right? Picture, like, flow chart, organizational chart, okay? We got God up here. In the beginning, God, okay? God then makes time because we have a beginning, right? So God was before the beginning, so for there to even be a beginning, God had to make a beginning, okay? So we've got God up here. And then under him, we've got time. So in the beginning, God. Then he created. Okay, so now we've got creation, level three. The heavens and the earth. So now we kind of split, right? You got, you got following my org chart here? Creation, we got the heavens over here. We got the earth over here. We talked a little bit about the heavens two weeks ago. Main takeaway, whoa. 
Okay, so there's a lot of things in that category, right? So we've got God, time, creation, heavens, and then that. Now we got God, time, creation, the earth part of that. And as one tiny little part of the earth part of that creation, we have humans. And then as a little tiny part underneath that, we have stuff humans do. And one of the things that humans do is science. They're not fighting. <laughs> there, there's no war here. And, and that's not to say science is bad. It's just saying science is not fighting God about anything. All science does is explore. All science is is some of God's creation exploring some of God's creation. Science can explore some of what God created, but it can never explain away the creator. Think about, think about it this way. I'm, I'm going to really go after this because I think I'm just like, I've been thinking about this so much and I'm just getting free. Like it feels so good when you realize you're in a fight you shouldn't even be fighting. Because then you're fighting an enemy that's not even there. And we call those folks crazy people. <laughs> and we're a little crazier than we think we are sometimes. Think about it this way. Two plus two equals four. Okay, that's true. That is math. That is 100% math. That is not 100% of math. To say that when we learn a scientific fact, we explain God away, is like saying that when we learn 2 plus 2 equals 4, we have proved that math doesn't exist. If you're confused, you should be, because it makes no sense. 2 plus 2 equals 4, it is true, but that's not everything that's true. Science doesn't reduce your need for God. In fact, if you want to have science, you have to have God. You've got to have something to explore. So as we come to the Bible, we begin reading the Bible, and we begin reading the Bible with the intention of learning to turn away from self-centered worldview, to be reformed in a self-centered faith. When we come to the Bible like that, we've got to understand some of these things. We've got to understand that when Moses was writing Genesis 1-1, he was not living in a world that even had the concept of science. The scientific method wasn't a thing yet. Nobody was practicing science. It wasn't even around. This, like we said last week, this is not about the chemistry of the universe. This is about the character of God. This is about the character of of God. This is a theology book, not a biology book. We got to know that because it matters that you know what kind of book you're reading, right? If you go to your biology book looking for a novel, you're going to miss it. <laughs> this is about the character of God. This is about the character of God. Now, that does not mean, it does not mean that uh, nothing that the Bible says is scientifically accurate. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't say anything that can be used in scientific exploration. 
There's, 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 tons, of, there's tons of overlap. What it, all, all it means is that when we read this book, we should be reading it for the theology, not for the science. One of the things that we, I think, can get distracted by, and, and sorry if I'm dragging you into this, I just think that I know I've been in this boat. But one of the things that we, we can get distracted by in our Western modern mind is this fight against science. We just, we do the same thing with the devil. Like, we got God, and he's just trying to duke it out with the equally powerful big bad devil. You know, and then it's, we, but we do the same thing, but it's like worse with science. It's like this thing that humans do. We've now conflated it into this massive thing that's trying to take God down. And it just doesn't even make sense to think about it that way. And so, so we, we, we think that there's this fight between God and science, and we love God, so we want to be on God's side, of, which means we got to fight against stuff that freaks us out. And it's like anytime somebody mentions the word millions with the word years, or like somebody says the word evolution, it's like, oh. Bring it on. We gotta go. We gotta go now. I knew you weren't saved. <laughs> it's like every time somebody mentions millions or evolution, we feel like we gotta be on guard against something. Every time somebody talks, starts asking scientific questions about the universe or about the Bible, we got to get on guard against something. We don't need to get on guard against anything. We're not talking about the same type of thing here from the beginning. We're, we're, we're trying to deal with the top line. We're talking about God up here. Science is talking about some smaller things. So the Bible, as we read it, it's okay to come to the Bible understanding that the Bible actually says very little about science. It says very little about science because it's not a scientific book that says scientific things. That being said, it has a lot to say about anything and everything that science could ever find or explore, but it's not dealing with science. So we, we, we got to understand the Bible says very little about science because it's not a science book saying science-y things. And the fact that it's not a science book should not make you nervous at all. It should make you really, really happy. It should make you really happy because if God's book only talked about science, that would be a major bummer. That would be a really major bummer because science is a very small part of what we need God's input on. We need God to say a lot more than some stuff about our little science experiments. There's so much more to life than science. There's so much more to life than all of these things that we are exploring. This book being a theology book and not a science book does not make it less true or less real. It makes it more true and more real. It's talking about things much more real than science, much more true than science, which isn't to denigrate science. Science is great. It's just not what we're talking about. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to come at anybody. I'm just trying to say, let's stay focused on what we're actually trying to be told about when God's revealing himself, which means we can chill out a little bit better. We can love people a little more. We can learn some more things. There is more to math 
than two plus two, which doesn't negate two plus two. There is more to the world than science, which does not negate science. The cool part about us humans and this recent thing called the scientific method and all the scientists and, you know, like the really smart people. (laughs) We got some of y'all in here, actually. It's really cool stuff. But the, the, the cool part about science, I want us to frame this appropriately. The cool thing about science is that we can learn some things and we have learned some things. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. Like if you've done, you know, anything at all, like in your whole life, it's been made better by science. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the cool thing about science is that we can learn some things and we have learned some things. The dangerous part about science is that when we learn some things, we think we're smart. Science is supposed to make you feel small, not smart. I'm going to try that one over here. (laughs) Science is supposed to make you feel small, not smart. I'll give this side of the room another shot here. Science is supposed to make you feel small, not smart. Science, science should blow your mind. It should not make you trust your mind. Let's let it be what it is so we can embrace it, celebrate it, use it, benefit from it, learn from it, and let's let God be God. Let's let God be God. The Bible's fight is not against science. The Bible's fight is against unbelief. That's what we're fighting. That's what we're trying to fight in ourselves. That's what we're trying to let the word of God deal with. That's what we're trying to let the sword of the word of God divide from in our own lives and in the lives of our world. It's not science. It's such a small, it's it's not even a small fight. It's not a fight. All science can ever do is tell us about God. I like things that tell me about God. Let's let the word of God fight against what it was written to fight against. The Bible is a fight against unbelief. So there are two reasons why Genesis chapter 1 is not a scientific explanation of the universe. Number one, which I've been talking about, is that because the reason that Genesis 1 is not a scientific explanation of the universe is because a scientific explanation of the universe is far too small of an explanation of the universe. Number two, the more important reason that this Genesis chapter 1 is not a scientific explanation of the universe is because this book is not about the universe. This is about God. It told us in the beginning. It's okay. It's not a trick question. In the beginning, Jesus. Yes, good, 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 good. (laughs) In the beginning, God. The reason that this is not a scientific explanation about the universe is because it's not talking about the universe. It's trying to tell you about God. 
This book is a theology book telling you about God. And if you begin reading this book like a science book, you are going to miss almost everything that it's trying to tell you. And if you read the creation story to learn about creation, you are going to miss almost everything it's trying to tell you. It's trying to talk about something so much better than creation. As you read this, don't look for young earth and old earth. Don't be listening for evolution or literal days. Look for his face. Listen for his voice. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Do you see him on day one in the hope that comes with the dawn of a new day? And in the endless mystery that is every night. Do, do, do you see him in day two? Do you hear him in the expanse of the sky shouting at you that he's got you covered? Do you, do you see him on day three, his authority? Do you see his authority when wave after wave after wave of the ocean obeys his boundaries? You come here and no further. Do you see him in the paradox of the cool that comes in a shadow that can only happen in the heat of the sun? Do you see him in the paradox of the night when you see so things so clearly in the peace of only moonlight? Do you hear his faithfulness every time a fish breathes underwater? Every time a bird flies? Do you hear the noise on day six? Do you hear in the noise of day six? Do you hear everything surrounding? Have you ever gone outside recently and just listened and realized that all the noise of life is just the sound of his breath? Life doesn't happen because it happens. Life happens because God does it. That's what the Bible is trying to tell you. A few weeks ago, I quoted G.K. Chesterton. I'm going to do it again because I'm just loving it. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. I had always, he's talking about when he, when he came to faith. He had always grown up with these different feelings. He said, I had always vaguely felt facts to be miracles in the sense that they were wonderful. Now I understand, or now I begin to think that miracles in the stricter sense Ah, now I begin to think the miracles in the stricter sense because they are willful. The miracle of creation is that things are the way they are because God willed it that way. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Science is the exploration of creation. Creation is the revelation of God. Just for you, Sonia. <laughs> Science is the exploration of creation. Creation is the revelation of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1.
made the, I guess I shouldn't have said something right downable right before I asked you to do that. I just want to give a shout out to the youth in the front row. They take better notes than everybody. <laughs> Romans chapter one, go ahead. I'm going to wait because it's just good for you to see it in your own book. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. You there, Sam, there? Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you see it? Do you see, do, do you read Genesis 1 and Romans 1? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clear, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. What's the point of Genesis 1? to show you the invisible attributes, specifically the eternal power and divine nature of God so that we are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, his divine nature, his eternal power for images resembling what they looked around and they saw. Church, God is not answering all of your questions through creation. And he's not answering your questions about creation through his account of creation. God is asking you questions through creation. Look at me, everybody. What's more important than your questions about God are God's questions for you. And he is not answering all the good questions you have through creation. He is asking you questions through creation. Do you hear him? Do you see him? 
He's asking you, is there ungodliness in you? Is there unrighteousness in you? Are you suppressing the truth? He's asking you, do you see my invisible attributes, specifically my divine nature and my eternal power through everything that I have made? My friends, you are without excuse. You may know him, but do you honor him? You may know him, but do you give thanks to him? You might be listening to a sermon, but are you futile in your thinking? You may be here at church, but is your foolish heart darkened this morning? Do you claim to be wise, but in reality, you are a fool because you have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images of mortal things. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Creation is calling. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Creation is shouting. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Come to Jesus. God's asking you a question this morning. He's asking a question through, to you through this biblical formation, the universe, part three, creation. He's asking you a question. What in my creation is keeping you back question church what in creation is keeping you back from the creator is it your marriage is it your money is it your sexuality is it your comfort is it your opinions is it your politics is it your preferences is it your feelings is it your questions is it your emotions? Are you too sad to come? Are you too confused to come? Are you too happy to come? Are you too angry to come? Are you too scared to come? What is it? What's keeping you back? Is it your pain? Is it your offense? Is it your dreams? Church, is it you? Are you what's keeping you back from your Creator? Is it you? Whatever, whatever it is, whoever it is that's keeping you back from him is more valuable to you than he is. When you are held back from him, it's not a stumble, it's not an issue, it is exchanging the glory of the immortal God for something he has created. keeps you from getting on your face before him? 
What is it that keeps you from worshiping him for what he's worth? What is it that keeps you from dancing? What is it that keeps you from obeying? What is it that keeps you from surrendering? What is it that keeps you from following? What is it that is keeping you from worshiping? What is it that's keeping you from your Bible in the morning? What is it that is keeping you from loving your neighbor? What is it that is keeping you from worshiping at church? What is it that is keeping you from walking with his people and serving his body? What is it? What is it? Do you see him? Do you hear him? He's asking you a question this morning. My child, look at me. the center of your faith. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Good. So how will you respond? You've heard him. You've seen him. You're without excuse. So what are you going to do now? I want to invite all of us to stand. How are you going to respond? Will you marry yourself to him at the altar of praise? Or will you stand in rebellion against him in the light of his glory? What are you going to do? Jesus, we love you. And we honor you right now. And we invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to move us in repentance and in reformation capture our hearts. Whatever it is that you've brought to our minds, God, I'm asking in your mercy that you would give
give us the strength to answer yes to the question, am I willing to lay it down? Whatever it is that we need to do, a text message we need to send, a phone call we need to make, a conversation we need to have, getting on our face in the front of the room, getting prayer for what we need, surrendering our life to you, whatever it is, God, let 